if you're trying to start a company, you know, why would you not listen to those that have already done what you're trying to do? Welcome to the Finger Space Podcast, a weekly show where we will dive deep into the history, stories, and controversies surrounding the fingerboarding community. Welcome to the Finger Space Podcast. I'm your host, Nostalgia FB, and we are excited to be chatting with Keelan of Red Wolf FB. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on your streaming platform of choice. This show is sponsored by Fingerspace Co., which provides fingerboarding gear for riders of all skill levels and budgets. Keelan, thank you very much for coming on. How are you doing? Oh, good. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you guys. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Man, so the first question we'd like to ask anybody that comes onto this show is, how did you hear about and get into fingerboarding? There's like a few stories. You know, everyone gets in through tech decks, but... I believe, like, my first experience with it was, I think on Easter, you know, in my Easter basket, when maybe when I was, like, seven or eight, I believe it was a Bob Burnquest Tech Tech in there, and I got it, you know, it was just like, oh, cool, this is a skateboard. It wasn't until I was nine or ten, when I was with my, uh, good buddy Tommy, and he had one, and I was like, oh, these are really cool, you know, we were just messing around with them, and it turned into, like... We figured out when the local Target would get restocks of Tech Techs, and we'd walk, like, a mile to Target at, like, I think he was 13 or 14 and I was 10 or 11. And we'd just walk there, and, you know, the biggest thing we were looking for was Element Tech Decks back then because it's like we never saw ones. We would flip a coin. It'd be like, all right, if there's an Element Tech Deck, you can have it, or, you know. But I, that's how that all started, and then it kind of faded off once I moved to North Carolina. And then we, I had all the ramps, and I didn't really touch them, and this is probably around, like, 2006, 2007. And it was around the time I was watching these Tech Deck videos, and people were, like, taking a lighter, burning the ends and bending them up and designing cool graphics for them. And I started doing that. And there was actually a guy by the name of, I believe, Alex Stoops. I can't remember his full name, but he was on FFI when I finally figured out what FFI was. He was on FFI and he was like making shaped trucks. And like, I don't know, you know, how many views he had at the time. I don't think I cared, but like I used to watch him all the time. And my biggest goal was like, oh my God, I want to send him a board to review. Because in the middle of all that, like, I remember one day coming upon how to make a wooden tech deck. And I believe it was a video of Brandon Jones, you know, talking about making molds and doing everything. And I'm like, Dad, we need to go to Home Depot so I can get Bondo so I can do this. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going to make a wooden tech deck. He's like, why? I'm like, because it'd be cool. I just want to see if I could do it. And... To basically turn a long story short, the rest of that is pretty much history because I'm here today still from late 2006 to 2007. And so that's kind of like the fast story on how I got into it. Nice. I mean, very good on you for sticking around this long. And you started very early on, I mean, 2006, 2007, I mean, past 2010, 2010, the golden age of fingerboarding into what it's grown into today. But what were those early stages like? <laughs> a I lot mean, of failure. Once you made your Bondo mold successfully or unsuccessfully, Successfully, I don't know, but would like to know. 2000, late 2006, late 2007. And people don't believe me when I say it. They're like, how were you doing this at 10, 9 or 10? And I'm like, I was allowed to touch power tools and was always liking to fuck with arts and crafts. And it was just, it was always something I liked to do. And from like 2006 to, I think it was, uh, it was probably, it was the Brandon Jones videos. And I saw, you know, okay, people were using aircraft wood from Michaels and there's a Michaels in everyone's town. So I got some aircraft wood and started playing around with it. And I think first I actually started off bending decks on, te- like making boards 
forming them from tech decks and like that was kind of crap so i didn't found out about the bondo molds and then once i found out what ffi was and like the whole spectrum of people i always remember seeing this guy and i didn't know who he was but he would always he was he was a moderator and his name was j star and i'll get into him later but you know, you couldn't get on FFI. I didn't know how to. I think you had to, at the time, like, you had to be invited by somebody. And me not knowing anyone, I was like, uh, how do I get on to this platform? And I, first of all, didn't have a clue what a forum was. I was like, what is this? <laughs> but, you know, I'd sit there for hours on end every day just looking at posts and, you know, how-tos and whatnot. And then I found a guy, I believe... He made Matt K decks and he was making like really top quality decks, you know, for the time of 2008, 2009. And I was just kind of watching, perfecting them, you know, it's like everyone defines where their start is of where their company is, was like when they started selling. And I guess I would say where I started developing to sell was 2006, 2007. And I just say 2007 because it's like, eh, you know, I wouldn't say it was a company, but the idea was there and I was always for some reason obsessed with like wolves, werewolves and whatnot at that age. So it was like, okay, I was talking, I think I was talking to my mom or something. I was like, well, a popular color is red and people like wolves. So <laughs> it's kind of like, oh, that's that. And that's where it came from. But I think, you know, I gave stuff away to like people, like friends, cousins and whatnot. And then I, when I first figured out how to like do a site and whatnot, I think I first sold stuff in like 2008 and like the very first two orders, because I believe it was on another forum FBHQ that I could actually get onto the first two orders I got, you know, I sent them off. I didn't know anything. And then like, they were like disputed or whatnot. We, I don't exactly remember, but like we got the money. I shipped the product. <coughs> I was disputed. The money was taken away. It was like the first two orders were ripped off. And my dad's like, are you sure you want to do this? I'm like, oh, no. mm, it's fine. You know, like whatever, what, what, you know, do you remember what transaction site you were going through? Like PayPal or, or what it was? Oh yeah. I've always used PayPal. Okay. Yeah. And now I'm a lot more informed on as having a business account on <laughs> what people can do, what people can't do, what you have to do. And you know, who you call when somebody's like either, you know, if you want to dispute a claim, I'm basically to the point where I tell PayPal what's the deal and isn't they see me as a business account. So they're not like, oh, this guy's trying to screw somebody. Cause it's like at this point, you know, if something's lost in the mail, it's lost in the mail. Yeah. But back then it was a lot different, you know? PayPal was completely different. It, that's one thing a lot of people don't notice or don't think about as far as consumers go. Like I run a, a small business, a small FB business myself, but people don't realize that companies can get scammed as well. Oh yeah. Those freaking dispute charges. I mean, and a lot of the time they side with the consumer. I mean, what are you supposed to do? I mean, you give them the shipping labels, you give them everything, but no. I've basically found out and I've told other company owners because they're like, oh, so-and-so disputed me. I'm like, no, here, listen here, call up the customer hotline. You know, you put your little pin in so you can get through faster and you basically you tell them the story you're not lying you're not bullshitting them you're saying what happened whether or not you know whatever the issue is i've had it where you know the very rare occasions where something gets lost i'm usually just to the point it's like you know what i'll send you out another one if you get it you have two it doesn't matter but you know there was a time period where i think when it changed from instagram or from forums to instagram a lot of that went down because you know you can't really be hidden you're not hidden behind just a random username and most people nowadays aren't like oh i'm gonna screw this person out of something because we we all know who holden is 
who I've spoke to now and, you know, I've spoke to him very little, but he's apologized for what he did, whatever that was, you know, yeah. being a teenager, young person. But you consumers and sellers are pretty well protected under PayPal now. Yeah. I've had people get their money back and kept the product and me keep my money because of seller's protection, whether it's damaged in the U.S. Postal Service or it's just taken forever. And lately I've been very mm. hesitant to ship out of country because of COVID and whatnot. And it's like people are like, well, it's taken forever. I'm like, I apologize, but I'm not the postal service. Like I did my part. I shipped it off. I feel like they need to take a responsibility here. Yeah. PayPal in regards to protecting consumers and, and sellers, they've definitely gotten better for sure. And I remember seeing on your Instagram story a while back about how you literally, I forget where you were shipping to, it was out of country, you shipped the package and it got returned to you like two or three months later. Yeah, I'm still dealing with that. I shipped it out, either it was the end of September or October, to South Korea. And I feel very bad for the person. You know, I'm not going to get into detail, but it's like, I shipped it, I think it came back at like in January, and I was like, I put a post out there because I couldn't find any information, I sent him an email, no one responded, and then like two months later I get something back, I'm like, oh, I still have your package, you know, I don't just throw it to the side, put it back in stock to sell it it's like no this is yours yeah usually i'll just send it right back out but when it came back to me with an address and like it was returned from sender because the address didn't exist i kind of like wait and hesitate because i'm like i don't want this to be lost any longer yeah i don't know how the postal service works all around the world as far as that but you know i try my best to get it out and to help the consumer yeah that's the end of your responsibility like you said there's not much else you can do beyond that point and then we all have to deal with the dreaded usps i mean <laughs> they'll stay messing up forever i would ship through us uh no ups or fedex but no one wants to pay twenty dollars to ship a forty dollar fingerboard you know if you're shipping to like a supplier or you know if someone orders a lot i'll pay for that i'll pay f to have it signed for you know etc because i've been there where things get lost and i take personal responsibility for it just because yes. that's something that i've never talked on the show about to any business owners but your shipping methods do you ship from post office or do you ship at home through a different channel no i ship through post office when i lived in north carolina i'd always ship through post office because it was right down the block but a few times you know i put the flag up and they'd come get it and I'd be no problem but one thing I learned in high school I used to work for soccer.com and I would say working there helped me grow a better customer service because we would have to deal with people all over the world and just you know proper shipping times and getting things out you know putting the proper postage on yeah. it like doing the proper steps yeah it might cost you $15 to ship to Asia or Germany but you can't get around that yeah, and with COVID, man, it seems like everything just skyrocketed through the roof. Oh, yeah. I mean, I shipped a, a package uh, to New Zealand last month. I mean, it was 70 bucks, you know, Damn. For, their, for their cheapest rate. But, you know, it is it is what it is at that point. Yeah. So getting back on topic with Red Wolf as a brand and you getting started selling your first products in like 2008, getting screwed out of your money for the first two orders, <laughs> where did you go from there? Obviously up, but <laughs> I would say once I got my first Berlinwood from Black River, it's a 26 millimeter. I think I got that in like early 2009. I kind of referenced it like a lot of people do. You know, you see what other people are making and what a standard is. And I've made a lot more boards than sold. Just practice, practice, practice. Like that's what I tell everyone when they DM me. Like, how do I do this or how do I do that? Because I don't like to say, you know, I'm old or anything. I'm not, I'm 25. But I come from, you know, the forums where people wouldn't tell you how to properly yeah. dye wood. Now you can figure it out on YouTube or just DM somebody. Yeah. I came from figuring everything 
every little bit out myself, whether that was because I didn't know people, but it was also people weren't willing to share how to pressure dye veneer or how to get your veneer to completely penetrate the wood. It was a different time period, like, I would say, like, the Stone Age, almost. Yeah, and everybody was still very, very, you know, it's not secretive, but protective over their methods. Oh, yeah, you know, there's things I've shared with people, and then there's things I'll never share with people, not because I'm some self-sadistic asshole, but the fact that, you know, hey, I spent this amount of time doing it, and it's like, what are you going to share for me, or, you know, like, what's going to make it even? I don't, you know... I've done things with other companies and shared ideas and it's came back and they're successful now and I don't hear from them. Like, that's not to shoot anyone down. Everyone's cool. But it's just like, hey, you know, how do you do this? Oh, I'm not going to tell you. Oh, okay. That's cool. Really? Like, do you remember me or not really? Yeah, kind of. Like, 2012, all my molds are done through NFB. You know, I can design them now, but I'll have him machine them, even though I have the capabilities, because you're not going to go to a machine shop that I know of and get a mold done for $300. They're going to look at you and like say, no, I'm not wasting my time uh, doing that, you know, with design material time on the machine. You're looking at, you know, if it's five hours, you're looking at at least a hundred dollars an hour. So what I'm getting at is in 2011, 2012 NFB, uh, Jim came to me and was like, Hey, do you want to test out these new templates? And they were, if you see an old, how it's made Red Wolf video on YouTube. I'm using a metal template I have somewhere in a box and it was like I was shaping it, but I was shaping it on a belt sander and it wasn't the best, but no one was doing it. No one was doing it that I can, not saying like I came up with it, but no one was doing it. And then when I told people, hey, this is what it was, it was like, oh, this is a lot easier than, you know, tracing it and trying to be careful and go around the edges. And this isn't me claiming like I found this or I discovered this, but I did bring a few people's eyes to it and I brought it to some people's attention. Uh, me saying it makes me sound like this high sadistic no. person, like, oh, but... No, it's just that in 2012, I mean, there's it's not like it is now where everybody and their mother is making boards. Not everybody was using the same techniques. Um, no. So if, if you were a proprietor of the bander very early on that very well could be is that is that still a method you use today no no uh okay i've told him before because you know we hang out justin from homewood he was i think it was 2013 2014 he had a kickstarter for homewood to raise funds for machining he was using router templates no one was using that not that i saw personally so when i saw that i was like what is that i need to figure out what this is because that, you know, when it takes 30 seconds to cut a deck instead of 10, 20 minutes, that's saving time. And one thing I've learned from becoming a CNC machinist, not done yet, but one, one thing I've learned is the more time you put on a product, the more hand time, the more money you're spending. And at the end of the day, people don't like to talk about it. They're like, oh, fingerboarding's for fun and whatnot. I don't personally do it as a business, like, you know, to live off of, but some people do. And that's yeah. the one thing people need to understand is the more hand time you have on this, the more money you're putting into it. Most definitely. I mean, I think everybody that makes decks, we all have those decks, especially the ones that we make for ourselves almost that we, we take a little extra time on. Oh, yeah. Whether it's the actual, like, when I split plies for myself or anything else. But as a business, you have to always think about your speed and your productivity because it is true. I mean, if you're not going to be charging more for a product, if you're taking more time on it, I mean, then you necessarily can't because it's not going to hold that much more value you are losing money at that point. Yeah, and I look at a few people, I'm not going to name drop, 
But I look at a few people when they're like, I'm not going to router template. I'm not going to make it look machine made. You do you. I, I'm all for everyone doing how everything, you know, you're your own proprietor. That's why you're doing this. But I kind of see it as like, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot when you're taking so much more time than you need to be. Yeah. It's different if you're doing it like, you know, you're making a board every once in a while and you, you want to be that one off type of individual. But if you're actually trying to go into production and do a high volume, yeah, like you said, you definitely are shooting yourself in the foot. It does not make sense. Why wouldn't you want to do this as, as quickly and efficiently as possible? Mm -hmm. So at what point would you say, going through Red Wolf and, and all that, did, would you say, okay, I finally got this. I know how to do this. I'm, I'm uh, that's, you guys might think it's funny, but you never really know. Like you might have bases, like you might have platforms where you get to where it's like okay i'm here and i'm building off of this you know i used to be down here i have a good platform on you know okay if i want to make a split ply i know i'm going to press that thing for longer than a regular deck but as far as you know where you can have confidence in your product i would say i have confidence in it but i wouldn't say that i never stop learning because i'm never to a point where i'm like okay this is the standard and i'm going to set it and i'm not going to go anywhere past it because i think that's asinine i like that i like that a lot because we definitely see it with a lot of bigger brands where they don't really seem to be innovating anymore it's almost like they figure out their formula they know what works and they kind of just stick to it and mm -hmm. that's it i mean anyone can you can go and you can follow their formula and you can do exactly as they do and you can be successful. And, you know, that might be a smart idea, but I've coming from that era of or figuring everything out on my own, pretty much, pretty much everything out on my own besides, you know, Brandon Jones making molds. I've always seen it as, a, OK, this is how someone else does it. Now, how am I going to do it? What would you say? I mean, not to give anything away. I mean, I already know you mentioned the, the belt sander and, and such and those methods, but what's the one thing that you think you've been able to innovate or make your own that's really made a difference or impacted the way, not just for you, but overall in general, that fingerboards are made? Because you've been doing it for a while. I didn't come up with it. I would give credit to Justin from Homewood that, you know, I see everyone putting their fingers near a damn router bit that's going two, 3,000 RPM, and I'm just looking at them like, do you want your fingers to become like bacon? Like, I have jigs and fixtures, so my hands are a good foot away. I'm not putting my fingers anywhere near that damn thing. Yeah, I don't understand it. I don't see. I mean, especially younger folk. I know this, there's probably people listening to this, like, what's a router? What do you mean router? Routers in, in the fingerboarding world, router tables, are imagine just um, a tiny little bit that's kind of like, there's different ones. Just imagine, for simplicity's sake, a little saw that's turning at who knows how many thousand RPMs in the middle of a table. And what you do is you put your decks on a router shaper and you push it along that router bit, cutting off the edges. The thing is, if anything gets snagged on that router, that router's turning so fast, anything that gets snagged is getting pulled towards that bit. And that bit will destroy just about anything it touches. Oh, yeah. And you have people that, you know, we swear by routers because, yeah, they're the best and the most efficient, but they're also extremely dangerous. And just the amount of videos on Instagram of these people just pushing them with their fingers, I'm like, it's not worth it. Not to me. I've DM'd these people like, hey, you should really get a Jigger fixture. And they're like, I'm doing it this way. I'm like, you know what? That's fine. You do you. I'm not even trying to tell you how to do it. I'm just saying, hey, I'm looking out for you because what do you, you fingerboard with your fingers? <laughs> what are you going to do when you're looking over there like stubby? <laughs> And you're just pushing decks along, and I'm just like, whatever, man. Like, you do yeah, you. It's essentially, not using anything to push your router artificially or, or anything to take a safety precaution. It's like driving a car without your seatbelt and taking your headrest off. Oh, yeah. You're just asking for trouble. I kind of want to shift 
the conversation over to Waisaki mm -hmm. and your wheel brand. How far along was it until you started experimenting with that? The whole story behind that was is me and my dad flew in to Chicago for IFC 2014 and we were at the event with everyone and the one thing, there was tons of people, you know, few people were selling decks, but everyone's like, does anyone have any wheels? You know, does anyone have any wheels? And I made a comment like, shit, if someone had a wheel company right now, they'd be selling some product right now because people are in need. I believe at the time, you know, it was like Oak, Y wheels making urethane wheels. Of course, there was flat face wheels and, you know, a bunch of other people. But as far as like the urethane wheel, I first thought of it like doing it myself in 2014. And I won't get too much into detail about how they're made but at that point i was just you know testing resins urethanes in little silicone molds to see what you know how product reacts and how to make a wheel like it wasn't even how to get the bearing to stay and it was how do i do this like and i would say a lot of the videos like as far as for fingerboarding i referenced them from how it's made skateboards and i kind of was like let's just see how can i shrink this down how can i make the same product a thousand times smaller though yeah that's very very smart of you because i mean there isn't much out there in regards to how to make fingerboard wheels there really isn't it's not like decks where all right y'all want to know how to make decks i'll tell you get a mold get five pieces of veneer make sure the grain is going in each direction you know vertical horizontal glue it together mm -hmm. put it in the mold then figure shape it however you like you know that's not the same with wheels right at all man so i'm just fascinated with the entire this concept of trying to figure out something from scratch so that was in 2014 mm -hmm. in 2014 2015 I was messing around with, at the time, molding, you know, making a wheel mold and then, you know, parting off the wheel and that being that. And at the time, I didn't have the space, the technology to do any of that. So I was like, hmm. So I looked into it. I was like, I saw how they were shaping wheels and I was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, okay, this is a lathe. So <clears throat> I used to make wheels similar how DK makes wheels now. I used to make them on a lathe, turning each wheel, doing that, and... That worked. It worked out wonderful. It was great. And I kind of look at it now thinking like, okay, you used to sell 20 sets of wheels and it would take you a good amount of time to do them. And, you know, like it was each wheel. It wasn't like a stack of four parted off. It was each wheel, drill it, shape it, get it consistent. And you have four wheels. And then I was doing that up until mid-2016. There was... I like to reference it in, involved with events. Dave from Airflow was doing his second tour, I believe, and he came through Chicago. And at that time, I already moved back to Wisconsin. So I went down by them and, you know, I had all these wheels. And if you look back on my Instagram, they were all the translucent, like high resolution yellows, pinks, blues, clear. And those were really cool. I think it was, I started looking, I went back and looked on YouTube and I said, okay, these people are making skateboard wheels. They're using aluminum molds, pouring a catalyst urethane in there and they're basically pressure casting them and i was like okay what's a way i can do this myself and at the time i was actually going to school for welding so i had no idea about cad and machining anything and i took a, a simple design i made to a local machine shop and i was like can you make this and first thing the guy looked at me and said is yes and i don't know if he said atf or fbi but he's like i need to run these by the atf and i'm looking at him like why he's like because i need to make sure you're not making a part for like a submachine gun or some bullshit and i'm just like uh this is a toy skateboard here sir and he's like you know for anybody that doesn't know you know the atf is the alcohol tobacco and firearms associate whatever whatever they're called but they're they're the people that regulate alcohol tobacco and tobacco and firearms here in the united states that's so funny i don't know if he was pulling my leg or whatnot but i took him serious i was like okay because you know like i found a random machine shop in milwaukee 
and was like, I called around, like, can you do this? Everyone was like, no, what is this? And the guy was like, yeah, you know, I can do it. It's a side job, whatever. So came with my prints. My prints, I should say. They Now that I know how to make a blueprint, they weren't blueprints. They were really pathetic. But I brought him in and I showed him and he's like, I think we can do something like this. I'm like, okay. So about three or four months later, I come back and I have it. And that is end of 2016, coming into 2017. And I released those first wheels and everyone liked them. They were great. I I admitted it. There was an issue with my material at the time. It was way too soft to keep the bearing in. I'm going to jumble all around. When I first started making wheels on the lathe and where I look at people and they tell me they have bearing lock, I'm like, okay, are you making a side set wheel where there's, you know, a hole bearing goes in and it's blocked by a, a little bit of material, a wall. And I wasn't doing that and my bearings were falling out. So I figured out how to quote unquote make bearing lock with just a simple cavity that the bearing sits in. So there was that in those new wheels I had the mold made for, and the material just ended up being too soft, and I never personally had the issue, but some people would come back and say, hey, my bearings fell out, and I'm like, okay, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Let me fix that. I publicly addressed it. I publicly came out and said, hey, this is an issue. If you have any problems with it, just contact me. Because I felt like, what disservice am I doing to anyone by selling them a faulty product? So I kind of had to go back to the drawing board on materials and get to where I'm at now with... I've been using the 101A or, or 65D material since then, and it's been great, you know. Everything's been like a science experiment when it comes to wheels. There's no like, let me look on this forum how to do this, let me do that. I like to reference it to, uh, I don't know if it's correct, I'm not going to say it's facts, but did you ever hear how bubblegum was discovered? I don't think I've heard that story, no. Not quote-unquote word for word, but I remember it being like some guy was trying to figure out how to make something, and I believe it was made from like whale fat or something at first. Okay. And where I reference that is to like, you know, the guy was trying to do something else, but he discovered this. Yeah. And with wheels, it's been a lot of reverse engineering, testing, timing. A lot of it is timing. It's like a time scale. You can't leave your wheels in the mold for so long or they become useless. And once they're out, you have so much time to put a bearing in them and you have so much time to do this and that. And so you really have to plan ahead of time before making a batch because, you know, if something comes up, if you have to leave, if you got to do something, I mean, it, is the batch essentially ruined at that point? Oh yeah, if if there's too much moisture in the air, your product, your urethane's not gonna cure. It's become too soft and you know, that's not good for anyone. You know, a soft wheel is great, but when your bearing doesn't stay in, that's not great at all. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you personally, you know, but I, I have three three sets of your wheels now and I enjoy all of them. I mean, it's an absolutely great product and I've personally never had, had an issue. But from that first version, besides changing your material and the bearing lock, is there anything else that you've changed throughout the years? Oh, yeah. I've done three or four different shapes. When I was first started making wheels, I made them look like the conventional skateboard wheel. They had, you know, they had the rounded edges and everything. And then, you know, I had no ideas about machining technology. The guy sold me on a much more boxier square product and it kind of looked more like a bowl shape. So that's like 2016, 2017. I think up until about mid 2017, I was dealing with mold the wheel and then I'd have to shape the edges on it. And then once I learned about, you know, I went to school to be a machinist, I learned about different tooling and whatnot and what I can do with it and how I can get what I want. So well, that's where I've got a whole uh, bin of, you know, wheels that were good that I did experiments on just to figure out new things. And if, you know, they have different edges and they're machined a little differently. Nice. I gotta ask, so did you go to school to be a machinist for the love of machining and being a builder, or did you go to school? Was there any influence on fingerboarding to be, like, to go do this? Well, 
when I was going to school for welding in North Carolina in 2015 to 27, no, 20, yeah, 2015, for the whole program, like to get the associate's degree, you had to go for welding and machining. And in the midst of all that, I moved to Wisconsin because I wanted to be here with my family. And I finished my degree, I should say, in welding. And I went to go get a job as a welder where I work now. And my now boss looked at me and was like, well, we don't have any welding positions, but how would you like to go be a machinist apprentice and, you know, learn the ways? And I'm like, it's a job. I'll get health insurance. And I've always wanted to do this. Like I always planned to go back to school, but it's like, if you're going to pay for this, I'll go do it, you know? And I've learned so much from that. It was a blessing in disguise because at first I was like, I hate school. I don't want to go back. And I actually just finished my school portion of my apprenticeship in May. And I'm actually very thankful for it because, you know, just learning a full circle about, you know, making any product, designing it. I learned CAD. I learned, you know, G code. I learned how to do the whole thing. And, you know, I do that for a living now. It does reflect back on my product now because I can go back and say, eh, you know, I should do this differently. I should do that differently. And in general, I'm grateful for that. That's great, man. And congrats. It's definitely, I mean, it seems that, you know, right place, right time and preparation on your part to be able to get through all of that. So congratulations. It's very, very well deserved. Thank you. I mean, you're an OG in the scene. I don't and think of myself well, like that. Like I started in 2010 and, you know, there's people listening to this that started okay. yesterday. Mm -hmm. So how have you seen the shift over time? Like you've already mentioned it from Instagram to the forums and the way everything's changed and how there's literally if you want to start a fingerboard business now all you have to do is get a big cartel and have a product and mm -hmm. literally you can try and call yourself a business or a company. You don't even have to make the fingerboards. You can just order decks off of Alibaba or AliExpress. And while that's a good standpoint, starting point for some people, like I think what differs between now and then, back then all you had to do was make a solid deck. Now you have to have a storyline with it. And I applaud Chris from Beastpan so much because I mean, I'm friends with him on Facebook and I'll see, you know, all his art, and I'm like, this is awesome. Like, he's not only selling a product, but the man has also got a storyline with cartoon characters that he's involved and brought into it. And I think that's really cool. Very, very true. You bring up a very good point and an interesting one at that, which at this point, a lot of people aren't necessarily buying the product for it to be a good product. Like you mentioned, they're buying the brand and the story behind it and the marketing and all of that. Marketing is everything. And that's one place where I can admit fully where I lack. I enjoy making the product. I enjoy using my hands and developing the product. I don't enjoy telling you five times a week to buy my product or, you know, here's this, here's that. I'm just like, here's a good product. Because it's almost like where I came from. It's like, you have a good deck. Here it is. Like, you know, you have a good product. Here it is. It, it should sell itself. But we're not in that age anymore. You know, you, you got to realize people want a storyline. They want to know more about it, you know? Yeah, you bring up another really good point of not wanting to, to push. I mean, it feels weird. I'll admit to the same issue. I mean, you look at these bigger brands. They're pushing their product, you know, twice a day sometimes even, making posts about them. But a lot of the time, it's the same exact product product every other post but it's kind of shifting your mindset into realizing mm -hmm. it's that yeah they're going to be posting the exact same thing over and over again on their page but it's going to get new eyes on it every single time they post it and it's kind of hard because me personally i feel bored reposting the same bushings over and over again i feel bored posting the same boards or the same stock over and over again but mm -hmm. it's kind of what you need to do nowadays i mean generally they say you have to see a product at least three times before you purchase it you have to do it and it's not i don't agree with it I used to do it. I used to sit there and I'd post daily. When I used to do this full time, I would post daily. I would, you know, I'd be uploading on my story. I'd be dropping new products weekly. 
And it became a lot. It was, I would honestly say it was more stressful than having a day job because you didn't stop, you know, it was constant. Yeah. Yeah. You, you need, you need to talk to your marketing team about that. Yeah. I got to talk to my manager. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, while we're on the topic, a lot of people that follow you now or stay with you or let's, let's just say stay with me okay. because in the past year I've realized I went to school, so I had to kind of cut this short. I I would post uh, every so often. And then when I came back and I was like, should I keep doing this? And I was like, you know, I don't like to annoy people with, hey, buy my product, buy my product. Like, you know, you shoot yourself in the foot either way because it's like, oh, you spent all this time making this product. You might as well shove it in people's face and say, buy this. Hey, don't forget about this product. And I've kind of come to the point where it's like, I do this for fun now. It's therapeutic. But where we get into the where I don't care anymore as far as like, I don't care if somebody doesn't like what I have to say. And I don't care if I say something that offends somebody. Not because I'm going out there trying to offend anyone or looking to start anything. It's just, this is what I think, and that's what you think. I don't think of you differently. Don't think of me differently. You know, where do you think that comes from, from you as an individual? They're not not giving a crap what anybody thinks of what you're saying. And you're going to say it how it is, essentially. Because not a lot of people share that sentiment anymore. I have a lot of older people, you know, uncles, friends, and whatnot, that don't give a shit, you know. They're, they're you know, the thing I laugh at is, is like, every, okay, you know, someone gets to a certain age and they're set in their ways you know whether they do something a certain way or they act a certain way and everyone just accepts it because they're old and i'm like eh that okay i understand it we're not going to try to change jimbo because he believes in this or believes in that but you know we accept him for who he is and what i'm trying to think i i don't, I don't want to get off topic on where i'm getting at with this but i don't look at somebody and say oh you like this or you like that so you're weird i'm like you know congratulations that's awesome you do that And then when I go and do it, it's like, hey, man, don't say that about somebody or don't comment on that product or whatnot. I'm like, no, I'm going to say it because I come from the era where you got shit on for making a shitty product. And it was like, hey, fix your shit. It was it was a tough love situation. It wasn't like if anyone like I didn't look at it at the time of someone being like, "Mm." I didn't look at it with someone being rude. I looked at it as somebody saying, hey, man, you can improve on this. You can do better. When I see you give this constructive criticism. Um, that's what I'm gonna call it yeah. on your story. It's not that you're being rude. It's legitimately, if you listen to the words that you're saying, you're not necessarily saying anything bad. It's like, I think the, the thing is, is that some people have take issue with how it's being said because it's, Oh yeah. I don't want to say people are soft or anything, but it's, it's definitely people are soft. And I'm in that same position too. When things are being like, like at first when you hear something like, if I work in a trade where you can get told to fuck off and you, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, by the way, if that's, no, you're good. If you're not. Okay. I'm in the trades where they'll tell you plain and simple, go fuck yourself. They'll look at you and say, fix it. It's tough love. It's tough love. And yeah, I know a lot of people nowadays, you know, I try to give it my own approach of it's tough love, but Hey, I care. You know, I'm not going to come out to you and, you know, yell at you or whatnot, but it's just like, Hey man, I noticed you're doing this. Like example with the router, people putting their hands with the router. Like, Hey man, you should really, you shouldn't do it like that. Not because I'm trying to tell you how to run your stuff, but I'm trying to say, Hey man, I care about your hands. Like <laughs> protect your hands. Yeah. I completely see where you're coming from. And, I, and I'm a tradesman as well. Maybe more of a soft trade, but it's definitely what, what are you the in? same attitude. I'm a culinary major. Um, I've oh, been yeah. a cook for the, for the last six years. Gordon Ramsay. It's definitely the Gordon Ramsay aspect. That aspect is definitely still there with a lot of the older folk. They do things the old way and they won't hesitate at all to call you out on anything that you're doing wrong. And they can definitely be tough about it. But it's where it's coming from. It's not to insult you. It's not to put you down. You can say things and everyone's going to take it a different way. But 
you need to step back and look at it and say, why is someone telling me this? It's they're telling me this because one, either you're being mentored by them or they're just looking out for you. So you are doing the proper procedure. You are preparing the food properly. You're not skipping a step. They're basically pounding structure into your brain to say, hey, you know, you want to be successful. Here's some tough love. Yeah, it is what it is. It's tough love. I mean, I I grew up the same way when I I was raised for a little bit by my great grandfather, who was a CB in World War Two. And that man was nothing but tough. I mean, that that man never told me, you know, he loved me a day in his life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they express it differently. I mean, it's essentially your love for the community because you care enough to give a damn. I'm willing for people to hate me because they think I'm saying something horrible or atrocious about something. When in reality, I'm just like, I don't know if it's the same in culinary, but we have like a set of, you know, guidelines. Like we have ISO, we have to meet a certain tolerance. We have to meet certain goals to get a good product. My thing is, is, you know, it can't be set, but I think of it that way is like, hey, I wish we had a set of standards in this community where people followed not to control anyone but just to hey it helps you out too it's not to throw you down it's literally just to help you out yeah we do in the culinary world i mean whichever way you want to look at it there's different programs and such and standard that have their own set but it's it's all kind of in the same realm Mm -hmm. and i see what you're saying i mean for example you on your story a few days ago from this recording when you were talking about rounding edges Mm -hmm. and how people don't like to round their I mean it's not that difficult to round your edges if you're going to be selling a product but yet so many people seem to lack that one simple task and like literally maybe an extra minute or two of handwork Mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's just because I look at a skateboard and say okay the edges are rounded you know I'm not telling you to put a certain degree of rounding on it But when it looks like you pulled it right off the router, lacquered it, and you called it a day, and you're selling your product for, I don't know, let's say 40, 50 bucks, it's like, you're not done with that. You still got to finish that. Everyone can do what they want. It's everyone's own opinion. And that's where, that's where everything collides. It's like, well, I can do it this way. I can do it that way. Yeah, you can. But someone's going to come out and call you out and say, hey, the edge rounding is simply on a skateboard, essentially. The edges are rounded because if you didn't, I believe my understanding the wood would crack and shatter yeah that's true let me put this example out first as a metaphor it's kind of like on my end it's like going to a pizza shop ordering a pizza get in it's not cut like really right did, did it really take you that much extra time to go ahead and do this or if somebody's putting a bead of tack welds down and they weld whatever they're welding together and they don't even go and um you know <laughs> to take it off you know just yeah going into that it's like you know have you ever done any welding or anything very very minimal i have a bunch of buddies that, but very minimally myself so i guess we can reference into it was like I don't know if it would be the same but it's like welding you know you know there's what a good weld looks like you know what a bad weld looks like as far as like you know I'll go to restaurants and like if there's like a it's something you can't unsee if you've ever seen a a good weld and you see a bad one you're like that's a bad weld you know it from first sight it's not like I need to go inspect it it's like "Mm, there's no penetration on the weld and I could assume in every aspect of every trade there is a similar characteristic, whether it's cooking, plumbing, you know. Anything. It's not a standard out there to help you. It's like, hey, that weld has no penetration. Well, you can't say that. I'm like, no, I can because it's literally just a bead of weld that's sitting on top of the metal. It's, you know, yeah, you formed it together, but it's not sticking anywhere. You put any pressure on it, that no, thing's most, broken. most definitely. 
I'm having so much fun with this conversation. This will be a long one for someone driving on a trip or... Yeah, you know. definitely. That's when I listen to my podcast. It's right? Like, like, when I'm driving. I'll sometimes listen to podcasts. Like, I was listening to a few of your guys' at work last week, and I was just like, okay, you know, I was more fearful because I was listening to Brandon from Lakewood, which I know Brandon, and he was, you know, guy was talking about everything and, you know, in such high detail, and I'm just like, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm going to get camera shot. Everybody brings their own style to it. We've yeah. had people on that, you know, are very minimal with their answers, and we've had people like Brandon that are going to extreme detail detail about it oh yeah everybody has something to bring to the table you know for the last couple questions that i want to ask you the first one being building your entire brand and becoming this you hold weight in the community how has that changed your perspective on things you know being this guy that you know a lot of people know as okay he's legitimate he's in this how has that changed you from being you know that 10 11 year old fingerboarder that just wanted to do this because it was cool that's like a tough question as far as like i don't feel like people really care what i have to say i just say it but you know, I've heard it from other people where, you know, where I've made rants and people are like, hey, don't say that because, you know, or don't say it this way or don't say it that way. Because, you know, some people, I don't know why, look at me as, you know, something. And I'm just like, no, I'm just kind of speaking my mind. More or less, I've just got the confidence to say whatever. Nice. I can see that. And that confidence is well earned. Mm -hmm. You've put the work in to know what you're talking about, essentially. Yeah. I, at no point whatsoever am I trying to throw my knowledge in someone's face to say I know better than you. Because there's more people that know a lot more than me. There's going to be someone that knows more than you in every aspect of everything you do. And I don't ever like to come across. And I feel like that's how it comes across sometimes. Like, oh, like he knows more than you and I'm like no this is what I know and I have the confidence enough to say it it's not a let me throw this in your face and be rude about it whether it, you take it like that or you don't that's to each on their own yeah if anybody's listening to this up until this point if you're trying to start a company you know why would you not listen to those that have already done what you're trying to do mm -hmm. it's like trying to work out or you know trying to become a millionaire or a billionaire you know if you're trying to lose weight are you going to listen to the guy that's actually lost weight are you going to listen to the people that you hang around that you know probably built the same as you. If you're trying to become a millionaire, are you going to listen to the people that have done it or are you going to listen to the people that are still broke? I think the best analogy to that is is you know, if you hang around five millionaires, you're going to be the sixth. You know, yes. if you hang around knowledgeable people, you will eventually grasp onto that. And I've realized it because I have older friends and, you know, they have different mentalities in life. And I've kind of gathered everything from all of them and I've made it into my own and I'm still growing on that. It's just like you have a different outlook on things. I've always looked up to people that are older than me, you know, because knowledge is power and you're not going to get knowledge from somebody that doesn't know anything. Most definitely. And, and, and to add on that point, it's kind of like, you know, the other saying where it's like, you know, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Exactly. So if you think you're the best deck maker that you know, you need to meet some more people, essentially. Oh, you yeah. need to look at more products. You need to, you know, reevaluate the way you're looking at things. Moving on from that, the second to last question is, I'm sure throughout the years you've collected and had a lot of product, especially made a lot. Mm -hmm. Is there one piece of gear that stands out as your favorite for any particular reason that's like, man, that is or was the things that I've owned that I've loved the most? As far as like quality wise and like just presentation of how the product is shown, it's going to sound like, you know, I'm a dick rider hard on for Homewood, but... I've met Justin, you know, we hang out and whatnot, but it's like, I look at his product and I looked and I was like, okay, how is this done? And it's reverse engineered. I look at it and say, okay, this is a solid, clean product. It looks great. As far as performance wise, I've used maze decks and those perform excellent. Quality's wonderful, beautiful metal plies. Uh, I've got a no comply that I absolutely love. And those are great. Like 
Todd's old lab wheels. That's kind of a basis of where I kind of like, okay, these are smooth as shit. How do I do this? And, you know, I've also looked at other people, you know, I'm not just like, I know how to do this. You have to support other people and you have to essentially, you know, Ford has to look at Chevy and Chevy has to look at Ford. I mean, they're all looking at Tesla right now to make an electric car. Yeah, of course. And not normalizing that, but it's so important to take inspiration from others. Like if you see something that you really, really like, and you're like, I want to do that, do it, but then make it your own. Right. Everyone, like there's an assumption of, I think it was 2015 when uh, Whoop was selling the short wheelbase, no one else was selling it. So I was like, well, shit, this is, you know, I've used Whoops at events, but I've never got my hands on one. And, you know, I just made a short wheelbase and I, I liked it. And when that first came out, everyone was like, oh, you're just trying to copy. And I'm like, Wait a second. We all preach in this community to be unique and different. At the time, my first short shape didn't look anything like a wool, but just had the same wheelbase. And now you see everyone rolling with a 53 millimeter, 55 millimeter wheelbase where like I believe the standard was at the time 57, 58. Not to keep on my trade thing too much, but I remember when I was in culinary school, mm -hmm. one of the instructors told us something that was very, very true and never really thought about it at the time. She goes, nothing that we do in the kitchen is new. No, exactly. None of it. It's no. everything is just done differently, a different way, yeah. but nothing is new. And I'd like to say, because, you know, people, I would say trolls will be like, well, you're just doing the same thing as him. And I'm like, okay, in some aspects of some, let's say graphics I've done, I've done spoofs or similarities, but it's like everyone in the community has done a Baker spoof, everyone. And everyone's like, well, that's Whoops thing. And I'm like, hats off to Zach. Awesome guy for doing it. I don't even know if he was the first. I know he was the first, I would say, to make it popular to, you know, everyone wanted it. But it's like nowadays, it's like everyone does it. Yeah. I laugh because it's like everyone's like, well, you should be unique and different. You can to a certain extent, but everything is going to be similar at some point. Like, oh, you made your deck with five plies and so did I. Well, well, what am I supposed to do? Make them with 10? Make them with three? Like, it's like people push you so much to be different. And then it's like, well, you end up just being the same at the end of it. And that's why it has came down to branding and marketing and what makes everyone different in this community. That's very, very good point. That is what makes you different. At this point, it's not necessarily the products that do that make you stand out, but it's how you present them. Exactly. Really makes you different. I like that. I like that point a lot. All right, man. So for the last question I want to ask, and you've already spewed a ton of knowledge. <laughs> I feel like I know where this question is going. For that one individual out there that, you know, looks up to Red Wolf or, you know, loves a brand and eventually wants to be like you or like the brand one day, what's the one piece of advice that you would give them that you would have given yourself that's gotten you up until this point? Uh, Never stop trying. Never stop learning. I say it. It's almost a contradiction to saying to myself, like, you have to do this. You should do it this way. You should know there should be these set of standards. But, you know, it is truly do it your own way. You know, do it how you want. Do things how you want. You're your own boss. It's like I'm not spewing information to tell you how to do it. I'm spewing you information to give you stepping stones to do it in a way where you will be successful. Nice. It's very, very true. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they take the sentiments at the end of these episodes and they're like, oh, really? Like, like really like never stop trying or like really but actually listen to the words that you know that this man is saying like don't let it just go in one ear and out the other actually digest this episode and i think this is one that everybody should listen back to again i will say i'll, I'll add to this and say you can listen to all this and think I'm some sadistic asshole that thinks he knows everything or knows this about that. I do know some things, but I don't know everything. Like, I'll be the first to admit when I fuck up. I'll be the first to admit when I did wrong. I feel like people do misconstrue what I have to say as meaning something else or, you know, a hot topic of like, oh, you can't talk about that. You can't talk about this. But, you know, I'm genuinely here for the community and... 
if I never sold another product ever, I would still be here ranting about someone doing something wrong or I would still be here making decks even if no one bought them because it's what I like to do. Oh, absolutely. And my hat's off to you and just mad, mad respect. And, you know, for those individuals out there that, that are listening to this and actually listening to the words that Keelan is saying, I think you've definitely gotten a lot out of this episode. And with that being said, Keelan, thank you very, very much for, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, man. Mm-hmm. So until the next one, you know, stay I safe. I hope you enjoyed just this episode you, of the Finger Space Podcast. Mm-hmm. Yep. Thanks for skating by and don't forget to nosebonk that subscribe button and dark slide on over to our discord server this episode was produced by fingerspace co and hosted by nostalgia fb big thanks to all guests and listeners